My name is AJ. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. It is wonderful to be with you guys here this morning. We're in a core value series. In the series so far, we've talked about uh, three of our core values, evangelism, family, and discipleship. Today, I have the honor and the privilege of speaking to you about the core value of leadership development. Leadership development is one that's so important and near and dear to my heart personally because I am who I am because other people made me this way. I did not get where I'm at in life on gifting. I got there on formation. And I owe everything I've got to great men and women of God who took time out of their lives in the places that God was taking them to form and to shape me into something I didn't believe I could be or become. And I stand before you now on the shoulders of giants, of literal men and women who could do this better than I'm about to do it, but have made room for us to do it because they believe in the power of what God is doing in every generation, not just one generation. They see things in us that we did not see in ourselves, and they've worked with us for many years to draw things out of us that God had placed within us. And the move of God you're participating in and experiencing in this church, in this community, in this nation, I believe is in large part due to the great men and women like Pastor Brett, Pastor Jim, Pastor Duke, Pastor Sean and Danelle Perkins, our eldership that have served this house. And I just want us to take a moment to honor them. Few are in this room because they trust us to do it well without them. So can we thank them for their sacrifice over many years, their intentional development in moments you've never seen Oh, if you could see the text messages I have gotten over the course of my life that have formed and shaped me. So I'm excited to preach to you today about leadership development. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. And if you would stand with me for the reading of the word of God. It says Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, we are able. He said to them, well, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be in this room with us today, forming our hearts and minds by your word. We submit this time to you, God. We ask that you give us eyes to see ears to hear and minds to understand what the spirit of the living God is speaking to us today. Form us and shape us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know everything, but I do know one thing. And that's that everybody wants more. 
You want more of something. No matter what you've got, no matter where it is and how much you have of it, my instinct tells me that you want more. You want more money. You want more promotion. You want more influence. You want more responsibility. Maybe you're a parent and you just want some more rest. Whatever you've got, my gut tells me you want more. And you're not satisfied with where you're at. And I believe that that's a desire that's wired within us, a desire for multiplication, a desire for growth, a desire of productivity, to build, to do, to receive, to acquire, to grow. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Everybody wants more, but not everybody is ready for more. And in this moment in this passage, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus asking him to give them more. I don't really blame her. I think she's just looking out for her kids. This is Salome. Salome, the mother of uh, James and John, the wife of Zebedee. James and John in scripture are referred to as the sons of Zebedee, or they carry one of my favorite titles in scripture, the sons of thunder, because they were rejected from a Samaritan village and their response was, Jesus, should we call down fire on that village? Like that's a very normal thing to do as a disciple of Jesus. So they were called the sons of thunder. These are those guys is what I'm trying to say. These were like the two of the 12 that were... Those guys. And right before Salome comes to ask Jesus for more, he had just been teaching in Matthew 19, painting this picture of what the new earth or what heaven would look like. And he describes himself, the son of man, sitting on this glorious throne. And surrounding the throne on either side are other thrones made ready for those who follow Jesus. And we think it's on the heel of this that Salome comes and humbly kneels herself before Jesus and makes her uh, petition known to him. If you would put my sons, one on the right and one on the left, in heaven. She wants more for James and John. And like I said, I don't think it's wrong to want more. In fact, I actually believe that God has more for every single one of us today. I believe that the plans that you have for your life, God has bitter, bigger plans for your life. I believe the expectations that you carry for yourself in your work, your career, your ministry, I believe they are too small in comparison to what God wants you to do and to be in those spaces. I believe that we are in the middle right now of a move of God where he is doing so much more than you can even perceive. Things are happening seen and unseen every day. God is doing a work most of us are blind to in this moment. So I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God has more for every single one of us. So it's not wrong to want more, but why you want it and how you get it are the critical questions to ask before knowing if you're ready to have it. We value leadership development in this house. We believe in developing leaders to reach their full potential in Christ. We believe in investing in and developing you to see you become everything God created you to become. Because we believe that the world needs more leaders who look like Jesus. That's why we believe in leadership development. I believe those who are called to be leaders have at least three things. I believe they have a life of sacrifice, a place of preparation, and they have another way of leading. Let's talk about a life of sacrifice. When Salome asks... Can, you, can my sons have more? Can they have the position of honor in heaven? Jesus responds by questioning their ability and their desire to do what he does. 
He says, I'm not sure you know what you're asking when you ask me for more. Are you able to drink from the cup that I am going to drink from? And when he asks that, what he's asking is, are you ready, willing, and able to do what I do? And all of us, before we even get into this conversation, need to rightly ask ourselves that question. Am I prepared? Am I able to do what Christ has done? You know, we've made leadership a very glamorous thing. We've associated it with just the best things imaginable. We all want it. It's all there. It's a goal. It's a desire. It's a dream. It's, it's title. It's influence. It's power. It's authority. It's respect. It's honor. It's all of these amazing things, so we think. And the problem is that what most of us forget is that at its very core, leadership is sacrifice. Ask anybody who's ever been promoted to a position of leadership. Ask anybody who's been entrusted with more responsibility, what's the number one thing you got as a result of your promotion or your leadership? They will not tell you money. They will not tell you respect. They will not tell you honor. And they certainly won't tell you that people have listened to them better. Out of Freudian slip in first service, I said, people don't listen to me better. And then I had to realize where I was standing in that moment. Anybody who's been promoted to a position of greater leadership responsibility will tell you the number one thing they get is problems. They get challenges. They get issues. This is the privilege of leadership. I'm not complaining about it. I'm just reporting on it. This is what leadership comes with. It's sacrifice at its core because leadership is not about getting your way. Leadership is about what you now get to give away. I tell my sons, you know, my sons want to be first. They want to go ahead. They want to lead the way all the time. They think that if they're the leader, they get to do things their way. And so I tell them all the time, the leader's job is to take care of everybody, not just themselves. Leadership is sacrifice. It's not about getting your way. It's about paving the way for others. Leadership comes with a cost. I do not believe leadership is about title or position. I believe leadership is a responsibility that is marked by sacrifice, that is made in the service of others. I believe that leadership is a mantle that we are to carry, not an honor that we bestow. Jesus says, see how my yoke feels. Check out what my burden is like. Leadership at its core is sacrifice. And so he asks James and John, can you do the thing that I do? Can you drink from this cup that I'm about to drink from? And the cup that he's speaking of is not a cup of honor. It's not a cup of respect. It's not a cup of glory. It is a cup of sacrifice. It is the privilege of pouring your entire self out for somebody else. To do what Jesus does. To have more significance, to come into what God has prepared for you, to be all that God has created you to be necessarily requires tremendous sacrifice. People think once I get promoted there, then I'll get it my way. Then I'll have it easy. Then things will go the way I've dreamed of them going. And anybody who's in that position looks back and goes, man, you have a lot to learn. You're going to see what it's like because I spend all of my day sacrificing for others and I rarely get what I actually want. And it is a privilege and it is an honor if you have been placed by the almighty God. Leadership is a burden that men and women need to carry the way that Jesus carried it. 
I went to Christopher Newport University. That's where I got my undergraduate. Um, and I like that. I love that school, first of all. But one of the things that drew me to the school was the leadership program that they had. It's called the President's Leadership Program. All kinds of special activities and perks that come with it. But you also take a series of courses that amount to a minor in leadership studies, which I really enjoyed. And in, I think it was the orientation for that program. You go to the university. If you're in the leadership program, you get a, you know, a, you know, a special one because we're fancy. And um, in that leadership orientation, they had us do an activity. Uh, they asked us to draw a definition for leadership. Draw for me what you think leadership looks like. Don't you hate that stuff? <laughs> stuff is the worst. <laughs> like, can't we just... Anyways, but I'm curious, I'm curious just for you for a moment, what, 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 what would you draw as you think of what is leadership, as you try to define it in picture? Now, what I drew, I don't know why, but this is what I drew. I drew um, a pool of water surrounded by a bunch of people, but only one person jumping in. Now, before we all psychoanalyze AJ and go like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. What's wrong with your brain? I was 18. I'm not saying it was profound. I'm just saying that's what I drew. Just leave it there. We'll all move on together. But there's something in me, and I actually think there should be something in all Christians who, when we think of the people who lead us, should think of people who are looking at a challenge, a problem, or an opportunity, and there's somebody who has counted the cost and determined it worthwhile to lead the way, to jump in first, to take on the burden of responsibility for themselves so that others can follow along after them. And I think we all ought to think that way, because when I think about that, I think a lot about Jesus. I think about Jesus who saw the burden of sin, of inequality and injustice, and didn't just watch from afar and send down teachings from heaven, but dove in head first to pave the way, to take on those things directly and permanently and systemically, so that all who follow after him would know the way to go to overcome the things that plague our culture and our society. When I think about leadership, I think about somebody who's going to jump in first and pave the way for others to come behind them. And I believe that the kingdom of God needs leaders who are willing to bear the burden, who are willing to live lives of sacrifice and to give themselves away the way that Jesus did. I believe that the world needs leaders who are willing to lay down their lives, lay down earthly titles, lay down earthly significance and pick up their cross to follow Jesus wherever it might take them. And I believe that that's at every level of society, not just corporations in your job and your career. I'm talking about in your family and in your marriage and in your household. So many people will say, well, I'm not a leader. I'm a follower. God didn't make me to be a leader. And I would just tell you, you know, the first person you have to lead is yourself. So if nothing else, you've got one person that you can lead. And God has called you to allow that person to be led rightly. And my prayer is that you don't abdicate that seat of leadership in your own life and just go, look, life happens to me. I can't help it. If things were better, I would just, and this, but you would step into the calling that God has called you to, if nothing else than for yourself and go, my life is going to be a life lived following the good leader of Jesus. And watch how that unfolds into your relationships, unfolds into your marriage, unfolds into your parenting, unfolds into your career. Because if you can lead yourself, you know how stubborn you are? <laughs> I'm speaking from experience. For me, I know how hard I am to lead. 
But if I can get myself up out of bed every day to follow Jesus, that's going to unfold into every other area of my life. So all of us have a place where God is calling us to lead. And the world needs leaders who lead like Jesus at every level, not just government, not just in those high corporate spaces, not just in the military, not just in the church, in every household and in every family represented here today. That is God's will for our lives because when we have people who lead like Jesus and embrace sacrifice the way Jesus embraces sacrifice, not running away from it, but leaning into it, we have leaders who can change the world by changing their environment. When it comes to leadership development, the first question we have to ask ourselves is, can I do what Jesus did? Can I drink from the cup that he drinks from, the cup of sacrifice? Can I bear the burden and can I carry the weight? Now, the good news is becoming a leader like that doesn't happen naturally and it doesn't happen overnight. It is formed and developed in us over time in the places of preparation. Is the second thing I want to talk about, the places where God prepares us. He says to James and John, to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. He asks them, can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink? And James and John, the sons of thunder, go, oh yeah, for sure, no problem, of course we can. And Jesus says, good, because you will drink from the cup. And I think there was a severity and a sternness in his voice that caught them off guard when he said those words. Not, okay, great, I'll promote you to where you want to be. You, you get to drink. I think there's a warning in those words that says that everyone who follows Jesus gets the privilege of sharing in his sacrifice. Not you might drink from the cup. Not maybe one day. You will drink from it. It's not a question of whether you will. It's when and where you will. And I need you to know that all of us go through periods of great sacrifice and of great difficulty in our life. That is normal. To go through a season of pain and uncertainty is not special or unique to people who are living wrongly, poorly, or outside of God's grace. If things are going wrong in your life and aren't going well, I just need you to know that's a part of life. You don't need to begin to psychoanalyze everything happening within your soul. Just there are seasons where things are hard, and that's normal. And God redeems every one of them. Because often those places of great pain and sacrifice and difficulty are actually your places of greatest preparation. It's the place that God is using to shape you, to form you, and to develop you into greater things for his kingdom. A significant part of leadership development is a willingness to be formed in painful places. To submit to God as he prepares you, to trust in him as he forms you, and to hold on in faith through all of the doubt, insecurity, and uncertainty. It's all a part of God developing you for greater purposes. What's not a part of leadership development is picking your position. Said another way, God doesn't take orders, he gives them. Okay. But the beautiful thing is that the place of your preparation is also often your preparation for placement. 
You see, God is not preparing you for no reason. He's preparing you for a reason. To place you in a position that he has called you to. That he has set aside for you. To put you in a spot where only you can do what only you can do. Now, we all start to get real excited when we start talking about placement. Where's God going to place me? What's the title that comes with it? And how much does it pay? We all start making wish lists, start dreaming about things that might come when God finally gives us what's ours in the first place. I'm glad you're laughing. Because if it was real quiet, I'd have to stay on that point. It is God's job to place you. And it is your job to be placed. The Lord says in Daniel 2, he says, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge who have understanding. Which tells me that it's God's job to change the time and to change the season. It's God's job to put a king in position and to take a king out of position. It's not your job, it's God's job. He sets them up and he knocks them down. He will start a season when it's time and he will end it when it's out of season. God is in the position of placement for your life. You are in the position of submitting to that placement. Because placement is God's prerogative. And the good news is he doesn't do anything without a reason, which means that there's always purpose in your placement. This point's got a lot of P's, so bear with me. If you're on the front row, get a poncho or something. Let me actually get some water on so I can. Let's see if I can get Telus on this message. Here it comes. No, I'm kidding. But God doesn't waste anything. Least of all painful places. And it is often in the painful place that is the place of your greatest preparation. Which means I know that he's placed you where you are for a purpose. And that might mean that even though you want to be the one in charge, you might have to first serve under somebody that you don't think is qualified or competent enough to be served. And some of us say, I can do that. I can serve under a bad boss. You just tell me exactly how long. (laughs) And I believe the spirit of God would say, as long as it takes. Because I'm forming you into something I need you to be. So as long as it takes to get you where I'm trying to take you. Oh, yes, God will use a bad boss to make you a great leader. And if I hear one amen from the Grace Covenant Church staff... All right, just making sure. That was for them, not for (laughs) y'all. I think by the response, we've all found ourselves there or many of us find ourselves there today. And how we respond in those moments, the instinctive way we respond is we cry out, God, would you change them? Would you move them? Would you fix them, God? Would you open their eyes to see what's wrong with them? Because they, if they knew God, they would promote me to the place and just get them out of my way. And yet the whole time, God is trying to do something in you. And until what's done in us is complete, we may never get out from under them. (laughs) 
I have another leadership adage. I tell my sons all the time. Because I'm going to raise little leaders in my house by force or by choice. This is the, their destiny is whether they like it or not. But I tell them, to be a great leader, you need to first be a great follower. And if you want to lead, you have to learn how to follow. Before you can get out in front, before you can lead the way, before you can shape an environment, you need to be led. You need to be formed. You need to be shaped. The number one thing that disqualifies people from greater leadership in my eyes is that they're a terrible follower where they are now. And if you can't follow somebody else's vision, how can you expect anybody to follow yours? In other words, you prove your readiness for future leadership today and how you follow those who God has put in charge over you now. I believe this is the biblical principle of faithful with little, faithful with much. Jesus says this in Luke 16, 10. He says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And did you know there's a second half to this verse? One who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And see, when Jesus says faithful with little, faithful with much, he doesn't qualify it or timestamp it. He doesn't say, if you're well-intentioned with little, or if you have a really good excuse as to why you couldn't with little, then I'll give you much. He doesn't say if you're faithful for two weeks with little or faithful for two years with little. He just says if you're faithful with little. The metric in the kingdom of heaven is not amount, quantity, impact, or significance. It is faithfulness. Are you faithful where you are now? For as long as it takes... Regardless of the circumstance, are you faithful where I have you? And this is hard for a lot of reasons, but especially in the culture and the society that we find ourselves in today, because we so much so have this give it to me now culture. I've been serving in the church for six months. I think I'm ready to be on stage. <laughs> if you ever need somebody to take an offering, I can, I'm right here. I saw this in my last life in the corporate world hire somebody into the firm, they'd come in, they work six months, come to the end of a performance cycle, and I'm, I think I'm ready to be promoted. I'm going, you just got the job. You just started. You haven't had enough time to make an impact. Yeah, but where I want to be in life is I want to be levels up, so I want to be promoted now. And when you don't get promoted, those people get very frustrated. They get very disappointed. There's a sentiment that says, I've done something, so I deserve to be promoted to more. And do you know how companies responded? is they just created artificial levels and tiers of positions to make you think you're getting promoted. If you're a business leader or a partner at a big four firm, I apologize this morning, but I'm just going to put you on blast. But I lived it, I saw it, and I know about it. And I'm here to bring the good news to the people of Jesus. <laughs> Setting captives free in the house of the Lord today. Hallelujah. <laughs> So I saw this, I saw this because instead of, instead of consultants, you get junior consultant, associate consultant, consultant, and senior consultant. Instead of a manager, you get a junior manager, a sales manager, a senior manager, and a managing director. It's all one position, but now there's four levels, four titles, because why? You want to get promoted? Fine. It's not worth the stress. I'll just promote you up. It will cut the pay increases up a little bit, and you'll feel good, be happy, and stay at the firm long term. It's all one position, but it's artificial promotion. And you can chase artificial promotion. 
You can go find what you're looking for. If you think you deserve more, you can go find more. Y'all are smart. Y'all are resourced. Y'all have connections. I know you can do that. You can get to wherever you want to go and you can get promoted. I'm just saying that promotion might be an artificial promotion. But if you wait patiently while God forms you in the place of preparation, instead of artificial promotion, you get providential placement. And the active working hand of God will put you in a position where no man can take you down from. Because when God appoints you in a place, it's his job to assign kings and to remove kings. It's his job to determine seasons and ends of seasons. And if the God of all creation puts you in a place, there's not a man who can take you out of it. If you have been formed in the process. The world will give you artificial promotion. Not so in the kingdom of God. Not so in the kingdom of God. It took me 10 years to be prepared for ministry. It wasn't that I wasn't called back then. I knew I was called at 16 years old after a small group in South Riding, standing out my cars, talking to my friends, going, I'm too afraid to tell my mom and dad I think I'm called to ministry. I knew I was called. It's not that I didn't want it. Trust me, I wanted it. I wanted it more than anything in the world. It's that I wasn't ready to be promoted to the place God had prepared for me. And if I was put in the position that I wasn't properly prepared for, then I wouldn't be able to fulfill my purpose in this place. So it took a decade of my life in another field while God formed my heart in my mind. It took a decade serving a vision I did not care about so that God could form his vision in me. I'm not bragging, y'all. It took me a decade to learn how to die to myself so that I could finally live for him. There's a place of preparation for all of us. And I didn't thank God for it when I was in it. I will just be honest. I'd come to church mad and I would leave the church mad. I had words with God. I can assure you. And not sanctified words, frustrated words, painful words. But when I look back now, I thank God for the decade. I thank God for what he produced in me and more importantly, what he stripped off of me. I thank God for the 10 years because leadership development doesn't serve any man's timetable. It takes as long as it takes. And the very place you find yourself trying to get out of today might be the very place that God is using to prepare you for greater things ahead of you. Moses spent 40 years in Midian before he went to deliver the God's people. David spent decades in the sheep pen before he became a king. Jesus waited 30 years before he started his earthly ministry. Paul has this radical encounter with the living God on the road to Damascus. He's blinded, he's called, he's commissioned. And it was 17 years later before he began preaching the gospel. Read Galatians. He goes away in anonymity and hides while God rewired him. And he learned and he began to understand what it meant to be a Jew, but now a follower of Christ. One who excluded Gentiles, but now one who embraced them. That didn't happen on the road. That happened after 17 years of anonymity. When I think about my 10 years, I think I got off easy. I got 30 years on Moses, so just got to say something. The place that you're in is God's grace to you because he's using it to prepare you for greater things in the future.
And we believe that leaders need to be developed and be prepared and be formed by God because only leaders who are prepared by God Almighty will be able to fulfill the purposes of an almighty God. Lastly, there's another way of leading. The other disciples heard what James and John said. Can you drink from my cup? Oh, yeah, Jesus, we got it. And they got mad. The Bible says they got indignant at them. And so Jesus calls all of his disciples around to deliver his final point. And his point is this. There is a way that the world leads, and there is a way that we lead. And those two ways are very different. The world will use their authority over people. They'll lord it over people. They will exercise authority upon people. They will use their power to abuse and to get their way regardless of what it takes or what it costs. And this should not come as a surprise to you. Look around in any environment in the world, you see it. Everybody clapped when I said, well, if you're serving under a bad boss, so you're living it in many ways. Jesus says they exercise authority over people. It shall not be so among you. And I need the fear of God to settle in your heart this morning. He did not say it shouldn't be with you. Avoid it if you can. He commanded you, it shall not be so. There is a way the world leads and there is a way that we lead. And those two things should not look the same. We should look different. Bible says, if you want to be great, you must not exercise authority. You must become their servant, even their slave. We have said at Grace Covenant, Bishop Brett has coined the phrase that the way up is down. That if you want greater things in God, you want to be used to the full extent of God's purposes for your life. You want the calling and the ministry and all of that. Great. Go down in humility and in service and in sacrifice. Because only with somebody whose life is laid down that far can God lift up to use for his good purposes. This is the biblical model for servant leadership. It's the one that Jesus outlines for us. It's laying down your privilege to serve those who are under your care. And I love this because it's so profound because the people who are happiest serving rarely ever want to lead. And the people who want to lead rarely ever want to serve. And so the model of servant leadership as outlined in the Bible by Jesus necessarily eliminates those from leadership who would by instinct lead the way that the world leads. Pastor Danelle Perkins many years ago says, before we give you a mic, we're going to give you a mop. Servant leadership model promotes the humble of heart and the reluctant leader. And I believe that often the greatest leaders are reluctant leaders, ones who know what the cost is, and they're not particularly thrilled to pay it because they know what it costs. But they also know that what needs to be done is worth doing. And if nobody will go, I will go because it has to be done. They're driven by a responsibility and a love for the things of God. And that is the model that Jesus outlined for each and every one of us in his life on earth. He could have come riding on a horse with military power, authoritatively commanding and demanding and marshalling troops. But he walked through the city streets and stopped for the sick, stopped for the lame, and he stopped for the blind. 
If he saw her grieving widow or the mother of a child who had passed, he would stop and sit with them and meet with them and heal the broken places of their life. If he saw a woman who was in abused relationships for many years and didn't have a purpose, identity, or calling, drawing water at a well at noonday, he would send his disciples away so he could sit with her and tell her everything about herself, not to judge, condemn, or push her away, or to draw her to conviction that she repent, but to let her know that the Almighty God sees every last part of you and he loves you, and he is after you. Says Jesus, who saw thousands hungry, stopped what he was doing to feed them. Says the Jesus who saw men oppressed in bondage, and he stopped to set them free. This was Jesus who had many great purposes in life, many great expectations about what he would become and what might happen as a result. And everybody expected something from him, but nobody expected him to serve every person he encountered. And yet he does because his ministry was motivated by compassion and his sacrifice was driven by love. This is the one who in the garden of Gethsemane with the cross before him, the moment of his ultimate purpose in life, the moment of his ultimate glorification, the moment that would go down in history as the moment that changes the world and causes us thousands of years later to sing praises to the name of Jesus and to sing songs about the rugged cross. He stands in the garden while he kneels in the garden, sweating drops of blood going, God, I know the cost. It's too much for me to pay. And if you would let the cup pass, please just let it pass. I don't want to have to drink of it. But if it's your will for me to do so, that's the thing I'm after ultimately. Jesus had the opportunity to let the cup pass. In many ways, I believe there was a part of him that didn't want to have to do it. But he looks at each of you. He looks at all of humanity, all of God's creation. He sees the bondage of sin and the brokenness of self. And he goes, if nobody's going to go for them, I'll go for them. I'll be the one who takes it upon himself to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And we have the privilege of putting our faith in that type of leadership, in that type of love. And then we get to be called by his name, Christian. Little Christ, because you who are called by his name are called to share in his sacrifice, which means that you become one who leads and loves out of a position of deference, of humility, of giving all you've got, getting to the end of yourself and giving a little bit more because somebody in this world has to lead that way or we will continue down the path that we're on. And I'm just saying, I don't like the way we're headed. And the world needs leaders who lead like Jesus led. We need fathers who love like Jesus loved. We need mothers who love and lead their children the way that Jesus does. We need you at every level of employment and opportunity, being little Christs wherever you are. Because the most radical thing about you is that you will not behave like the world behaves. That the leadership that you walk in, the purpose that you walk in, the way you speak, the way you think, the way you talk to people, it will not sound like the way anybody else talks, speaks, or thinks. I never chased a promotion in my life. I spent all my years serving everybody. Because that's what God did for me. 
And I couldn't stop myself from moving up. This is not a boast or a brag. This is evidence of the principle of Jesus Christ in effect in the real world. I'm not a preacher who's just saying maybe it'll happen one day. I'm saying I lived it. I experienced it. It's God's calling for you. Lean into it. There is a cost. But it is worth paying. Because all of us owe God a greater debt. And we have one who paid that for us. And he didn't complain about it. He leaned into it. And he said, it is the will of the Father that I'm after, not my own will. And church, I just believe that if we can become people like this in this nation, we will change the city. We will change our households. We will change our workplaces. We will be a city on a hill. We will be a light unto the world. We will be a people of whom the world speaks as different, as other, as set apart, and as special. And it won't be because of your effort. It will be because of the Spirit of God living within you, moving you to live, act, and think as Jesus did. This is why leadership development is a core value of our house. Because we believe the world needs leaders who lead and love like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. In fact, Lord, we adore you. Your patience and loving kindness are so undeserved by us. Your tender, loving care and compassion know no limits and no bounds. And God, we thank you for setting an example that we can follow. We thank you, God, for the painful places of life many of us find ourselves in right now. And Lord, by the Spirit of God, I just pray for those who find themselves in a season of preparation, those who would find themselves in a painful place, those who look at what they've been asked to do and called to do and maybe even came in today and said, I don't think I can do another day, let alone another week. I'm at the end of myself. And Lord, I pray the Spirit of the living God in this moment would administer grace and peace to them. For Jesus, you did say, come see how my yoke is and come see how my burden is. But Lord, it was to understand that when we walk with you, that yoke is light and that burden is easy. So help us, Father, carry the yokes that you've placed upon us with grace and with peace, allowing you to bear the burden for us. Lord, send your grace and your strength to those who are struggling in this place today. Administer your peace to them. Lift their heads up. Jesus, touch them now. That they would feel the healing hand of God reminding them you are not far from them, but you are in them in the middle. You are not asleep at the wheel, God, but you are working every day. Whether we see it or not, God, your hand is at work in every moment. 